0: Let's read our text this morning, and we'll jump into Mark 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Bonaerges. I could totally have butchered that. So if you have a better translation, come find me afterwards so I don't humiliate myself at the 11 as well. Uh, Which means the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of God from Mark 3. I love this text. I'm excited to jump into it. I want to just kind of point out a few things that God has been just illuminating in my heart in hopes that um, He'll illuminate it in us this morning as a body. The first thing that I want us to kind of see in this text is that, that we are known by Jesus. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. We are known by Jesus. We're just gonna work through this kind of verse by verse. I think God has a lot of good things in here for us. And so uh, verse 13, again, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. I love in this text that Jesus called specific people and he called them by their name. Jesus knew their names. Like in a crowd like this, he, it wasn't like ambiguous. It wasn't like he just, he had this like big open claim. It's like he, he looked at people deep in their hearts and he knew their names. And he called them by their names. I was thinking about just this kind of in our life, in our context, when someone that you think matters, like when they know your name, when they remember your name, when they would call you by your name in public, doesn't it just kind of have this way of like validating you and like giving us worth? Maybe I'm the only one because none of you said yes. You're just like set there blank stares. Like. Um, you know, for me, I, I remember um, when I was in third grade and I grew up in Murray, Kentucky. And um, I went up, grew up going to every single Murray State basketball game. My granddad was a huge fan. My dad was a fan, my brother and I. And so we'd go to every single game. And I remember we kind of had the same routine. We'd get there like an hour early and the girls would be playing. And, and so kind of in the middle of the arena, they had this tunnel that the guys would come out of. And so me and my younger brother, we'd take a basketball, we'd take a piece of paper and a Sharpie. And I kid you not, every game, we would go down there and we'd talk to the players and just bug the crap out of them and, and get their autographs. And, and we did this for like two solid years, every game. I remember when I was in third grade, um, my mom, uh, I was getting ready for school, brushing my teeth or something. And mom said, Brandon, phone's for you. So I went to my room and I got this, my orange basketball phone. I don't know if any of you guys have one of those. And I picked it up and I said, hello, and said, Brandon, hey, this is DT. I'm like, who is DT? Like, said this is DT Mays. I play for Murray State. And I'm like, yeah, you're my favorite player. I know who you are. Like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you calling me? He said, hey, we played tonight and I want you to be my special guest at the game. Like I've got two tickets for you kind of held at will call. I want you to come in the special door. I want you to sit in my seats. And I'm like, mom, how can I go to school today and <laughs> learn about multiplication when a favorite player like knows me? I think about later that year, I've told this story before. It was my birthday party and my grandparents had a pool growing up. And so me and all my chubby white friends were uh, having a pool party. And, um, and I remember, um, DT walks through the gate. Here's this like six, seven black dude that's got more muscles in his body than all of us had combined and like all of us are just like, so, and he walks up to me and he says, happy birthday, Brandon. And I'm like. And being known like by someone that is like, that you deem important is one of the most like life-giving things. For some of you this was, This happened to you the past week where you didn't even know your boss knew your name and she poked her head in your office and said, hey, great job on that project. (laughs) Called you by your name. For some of you, this was the time where your favorite college professor, you saw them out at SATCO and they remembered your name and they called you by your name. And there's something about being known that is just beautiful. You know, can you imagine what it did for these guys when they realized that They weren't just a number in the crowd. Jesus didn't just see them. He knew them. He knew their name. I love that Jesus knew them and I just was reminded all week that it's not that Jesus just knew these guys. He knows us. And the God of the heavens all throughout scripture over and over and over again wants us to understand that, that you and I are known by the Creator the sustainer of life. That we're not just another number in the crowd, that you weren't just an accident that happened to your parents. You are known by God. You're loved by God. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 says, Before I knew you in the womb, I, I knew you. Jordan, before I, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's from the God of the heavens speaking those words to you. It's powerful. Or think about David, this guy that just had this sweet relationship and connection to God. And in Psalm 139, he says, God, you know me. You know us, God. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. And over and over in Scripture, God wants us to understand that he knows us. But I want us to see this. It's not that he just knows us. The second thing that I want us to see is that he wants us. Jesus knows us. The second thing is that Jesus wants us. One of my favorite words is in verse 13. He called to him those he wanted, not those he needed, not those who weaseled their way onto his team, those he wanted. You know, I was thinking about how uh, being known and still being wanted is such a big deal. To be fully known and fully wanted is so powerful. I think this is one of our greatest fears as human beings. That there's something in us that says, man, if, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want me. Nick, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be my friend. Like, If you really knew me, you wouldn't want me. I've had the joy of working with our house churches here for the past five years now. And this is why one of the reasons it it is so hard for us to open up. It's such a struggle for for us to have deep fellowship in house churches. is because we don't believe that people in that room, if they really knew us, they'd want us. And so we don't open up, we don't let them in our lives, we don't let them in our past, into our hearts, into our struggles. It's the reason some of us have such a hard time confessing sin with our spouses, with our boyfriends, to our children, to our parents. If they knew us, they wouldn't want us. And I love what Jesus Christ does. He shows up and he says, not only do I know you, I want you. Not only do I know you, but I want you. Every Thursday, we have um, kind of this thing within our team. We call it teaching team, where whoever's teaching, we sit down with a group of guys and girls, and we just kind of go over our sermon, and we, and we let them kind of give us feedback and, and help us shape a word. And, and uh, one of the guys that was sitting in there, he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I hear this, and uh, it's pretty clear that, that Jesus chooses 12, but he doesn't choose everybody, so, Brandon, I feel like you're making a stretch here. Like you're saying that, that Jesus chooses us, he wants us, he knows us, but it doesn't seem like what is going on here in the text. And I'm going, that is a great question. Like, all throughout scripture, one of the things that you see about the God of the heavens is that he always calls a few for the purpose of blessing the multitudes. You see, it's always been in the heart of God to bless and to save and to change every person in the entire world. But consistently, God starts with a few. He changes a few. He sanctifies a few so that everyone else can know what he's like, so that everyone else can get a picture of what he does. God always takes someone through first. He did this with Abraham, and he blessed Abraham, and he called Abraham so that Abraham could bless the world. You can read about Abraham in the book of Genesis. He did this with Israel, the, the people of God, He chose a specific nation, and he drew near to this nation so that this nation could bless the entire world so that through Israel, the entire world would come to know God. He does this through the church that he draws near to us, that he meets us in this place. He meets us as we drive to work, as we go to school, as we live our life. He blesses us so that you and I can leave this place and bless the world so that we can go and tell the world how good and alive and real Jesus Christ is. You see, God's always been in the business of choosing a few first. Choosing a few to bless the multitudes. God's desire has always been to save the entire world. A long time ago, this has changed forever the way that I see God and know God. I came across this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that God wants all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4, you can go back and read that if you want, it has changed my my outlook on life and church and mission. It means that I will never meet a person ever that God doesn't want to save. You see, God wants us and he knows us and God knows you and he wants you and you are loved by Jesus. Second thing that I want us to see in this text is that as the people of God we are appointed by Jesus? We are appointed by Jesus. And so look with me in verse 14. It says Jesus appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. Listen to these words very intentionally, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And this week, as I was reading across these words, the, the bigness, the, the realness of the call of God on a Christian's life just kind of swept over me. You know, I think so often we like really lower the bar on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Take communion or say these words, and then we live the rest of our lives however we want. And I love what Jesus is doing here because he's he's showing us, man, this is what it means to to really be mine. This is what it means to walk with me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that you're with me, that you preach, that you drive out the enemy. I want us to look into these three kind of aspects of what it looks like what he's appointed us for, what he's appointed us to do. And so this idea of of being with Jesus, you know, to to live every second of your life with the creator of the universe, could you imagine how amazing this would have been for these guys? Most of these guys who weren't accepted in church because of the, the things that they'd done. Guys who care nothing about walking with God and then God shows up and says, I want you to spend your entire life with me. Be with me. (laughs) Do you realize that for these 12 apostles there was never a moment where the power and the protection and the presence of God was not with them? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's never a moment where the power and the protection and the presence of God is not with us. Jesus is inviting us into a friendship, a closeness, an intimacy that just comes from from being in relationship with Jesus, from being close to him. That as you pray, as you hear God, as you see God, as you read the scriptures, your heart comes alive for God. Just being with him. I shared this last week at the cannery. I was having a coffee with one of the women in our church. Her name's Karen Wood. If you guys don't know Karen, you should get to know her and her husband, Bob. They're just awesome people. Um, we were sitting down having coffee and she says, Brandon, did you know those moments in your life where you see God or you hear from God or you encounter God? And I'm like, yeah, those are amazing moments. She said, yeah. She said, I wanna help our church and I wanna help our city and I wanna help our world understand that those moments are not extraordinary moments. Those are ordinary moments. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, I want to help our church understand that God speaks and God moves and God reveals himself all the time. And so we were never meant to just have an encounter with God once every 13 years. <laughs> but that we would be with God. You know, and a lot of you sitting here, you, you don't know God. And the only reason is because you've not been with him. It's not because you're a terrible person. It's not because you're, you're, you're this sinfully awful person. It's just because you've, you've never been with God. And there's something about just being in the presence of Jesus that, that just allows you to know his heart. There's no one in the world that I know more than Court right now. There's no one that I know more than Court. I know the things that she's watching on TV, the things that, she, uh, things that she's loving to, the things she's enjoying eating. I know the things she's praying about. why? Because I'm with her. We spend time together. Because I long to be in her presence. I long to be with her. And Jesus, he's appointed us to live every second of our lives in his presence. Every second of our lives. Not just Sunday mornings. (laughs) And not just mission trips where we go away for a week in Guatemala, that, that in the mundane, the ordinary, the sitting at our desk on a Tuesday morning, you and I were made to be with Jesus. And I love the humanity that we see in Jesus. This is one of my favorite details in this story. Uh, I love that Jesus gives his apostles nicknames. Did you notice that as we were reading through that? He looks at Simon. I can just imagine this conversation. Simon walks up to him and says, nope, you're going to be Peter. What? What? It's like me walking up to Lori. Hey Lori, uh, you're, you're gonna be Samantha from now on. What? Or James and John. He, he sees James and John and he calls them the sons of thunder, which I think is hilarious. It essentially just means hot-tempered ones. Do you have anyone in your life that you know that's hot-tempered? <laughs> this was James and John. And what I was thinking about this is you, you see the humanity, you see the friendship, the closeness that Jesus had with these guys because he gave them nicknames. You know you love someone when you give them a nickname. I don't think I've ever called my wife Courtney. <laughs> I remember, uh, I call her every other different name under the sun, all good names, bless you, for you. Uh, I remember for a long time, um, just to let you in on a little bit of our, uh, our life, I called her Snookums, and I was ashamed of that for a long time. And uh, I remember being on a mission trip, um, I'm glad you enjoyed that. You can share a detail with me about your life that I can laugh at later. Um, getting a little hot in here. Um, and I remember being on a mission trip and um, Chris Binkley, I don't know if you guys know, he was one of my buddies in college and I would, she was back here in Tennessee and I was just writing this message on Facebook and I just said, hey, I love you snookums or whatever and, and I forgot to log out of Facebook and then Chris was the very first next person on the computer after me and he just gave me the runaround for, for calling her snookums and, uh, and I go, man, it's just what happens when there's like real love there. Like, for the months leading up to Jones' birth, we experimented in with all different names, Jonesy Boy and JB and Jonesy Dave. We just called them everything under the sun. You go, man, look at your life. It's like you know you love somebody when you give them nicknames. And I think so often we think about stepping into life with God, being with God, and we think about it being this burden, and Jesus is wanting us to see just how kind he is, how much he loves us. The friendship that he longs to have to us we're made to be with jesus i love the next detail in this that that he sends us out to preach when you think about preaching what do you think about i think all my life this is what i viewed as preaching that it's what one person does it's the job of one to stand up in front of everyone to inform, to give us something good to think about. But preaching in the book of Mark, preaching in this text is something different than that. You see, preaching, the word that he uses here, it's this Greek word, and it means to make known important news publicly. Preaching just means to make known important news publicly. And I was thinking about how we do this all the time that we all, in this sense, we, 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 we preach, we, we make important news public all the time. So we get on Instagram, we take a picture of our new puppy. Right, Keela? It's like you let the world know of important news that's happening in your life. You put on Twitter that you paid off your student loans, or you got accepted into a uh, graduate program, that you got engaged. We're so good about sharing important news publicly and i love what jesus does here in, in mark chapter 3 with these 12 guys he says i'm gonna i'm inviting you to live life with me and i'm gonna send you out to preach and you can just imagine them going wait what is preaching <laughs> the only preaching i've ever seen is the one person standing up front in church and jesus going man let me let me redefine what preaching looks like for you preaching is simply sharing about the goodness and the realness of jesus christ and all that he has done for sinners on the cross. Preaching is simply sharing with our friends and our neighbors the realness of God, the realness of the resurrection, the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ alone. I kept thinking how preaching is not a job, preaching is a joy, and how too often it's a joy that many of us as Christians we miss out on, you see, Jesus loves us all too much to just let one person preach. He loves us all way too much to just let one person have that joy. No, this joy is for all of us to have. Last week as we were watching the baptism video, the Resurrection Week video, I just was so moved by the every baptism Sunday when someone gets baptized, inevitably there is a group of friends gathered around their friend that baptize them. And I see that in my heart, it just like, jumps inside of me I go man that's what we were all made for or Jason and Beth they come here to Marathon and I don't know if you guys know Jason and Beth they're an amazing couple and and I saw on there that, that Jason baptized Beth I Go, we were made for that or last week at the cannery I was talking to this guy and his neighbors or are this married couple that go to our church and for two years they invited him to church hey come to church with me No, I don't want to give church a try. Come to church with me. No, I don't believe in God. Come to church with me. For two years, and they prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for them. And on our baptism, or on our birthday Sunday back in November, they stood up on stage at Allen Arena and baptized this guy. And I go, man, we were made for this. Every one of us was made to do this. To tell people publicly about the most important person to ever live and who still lives, Jesus Christ. You were made to preach. I was made to preach. We were made for this. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you realize that? That anyone, no matter how far gone you think your sister is or your son or your coworker, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But he keeps on and says, but how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I would say for the majority of us who are followers of Jesus, it's not that we don't care about people, it's not that we don't love Jesus, it's not that we don't want to talk about him. It's just that we're so fearful. We're so fearful. Of failure. We're so fearful of, of what they're going to think. We're so fearful they're going to come back at us with a question that we don't know. And just let me tell you this, I was driving in on Thursday morning and God was going, man, just let my people know, get over your fear. Brandon, you get over your fear. You will fail. You're going to be sharing your faith at Starbucks some morning and the person that is not a believer, they're going to come back with you with a question and that question is going to wreck you for the next two years. You're gonna share your faith with somebody and um, they're gonna be more resistant to God after the conversation than they were before. We're gonna fail. From our standpoint. But I was reminded this week what Jesus is inviting us into is to be people that proclaim the name of Jesus because we have no idea what God can do when the name of Jesus is just proclaimed. When the goodness and the realness of Jesus is ex- experienced. A couple months ago, well, I'll share this. I remember uh, when Court and I moved into our house almost three years ago, our next door neighbor was not a believer. And I just felt like God was inviting us to just kind of share our faith. And so he and I would get in a habit of sitting out in our backyard underneath the stars, and, and I would tell him about Jesus, and he would tell me about why God didn't exist. And, and I would tell him about all the things I was experiencing and seeing in God and he would tell me that just because I was a good person and I would remind him that I wasn't a good person and I would tell him about the, the kindness of Jesus and he would just come back and, and we sat there for two and a half years and, and nothing's happened. And i just tell you that because I go, man, just get over your fear of failure. This week, would, it would be the greatest success if we left this place and go, hey, This week, I'm not gonna let fear cripple me from talking about Jesus. What a win for us as a church. What a win for the kingdom of God. What a win for Jesus in your life. We're made to be with him. We're made to preach. We're made to drive out demons. And I know this is a very touchy one. And honestly, it's like way over my pay grade. So I've just been praying and asking, God, what do I do with this piece? And he said, just ignore it. So that's what we're gonna do. Just kidding, no. Um, No, I just was reminded that that we live in a spiritual world and um, there are things going on around us that we can't see, we don't always know. This is a big deal, what Jesus is saying, that that when we become a follower of Jesus, that we start messing with the spiritual world and this is a big deal. (laughs) And I don't know how this works, but I know that Jesus gives these guys authority and uh, we're gonna learn kind of throughout the book of Mark that, that he sends them out and that, Wherever they go, life gets better for people because God is in them. And people who are experiencing darkness and people who are experiencing uh, the, the, the oppression of the enemy, when Jesus Christ shows up through his apostles, it drives them out. And I believe that God still does that today through us. Now, I don't understand why that, that some of us, we, we, we know people, or some of us maybe ourselves, we still feel like we just have this like, darkness and demonic sitting over. So I don't understand. I know that there were times in Scripture where the apostles would face things and, and they'd go, Jesus, we can't drive this out. And he'd go, yeah, I know you can't. They're like, wait, but I thought you told us we could. I want us to know that, that through this, that, that, that Jesus is allowing us to, to help people who are in bondage. People who the enemy is suppressing and lying to and God says, I am filling followers of Jesus with authority to go to push back the corners of darkness in this world. To go to bring about freedom. And I don't know what this looks like. But I know that there's gonna be a moment where you're gonna see darkness for what it really is, and the Holy Spirit of God is gonna remind you that he has given us authority, because of the Holy Spirit, to do something about it. And when that happens, be bold. Press into Jesus. We're loved by Jesus, we're appointed by Jesus. And the third thing I want us to see in this text is that we are made to be a community around Jesus. Verse 16 says, These are the twelve that he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. He betrayed him. Guys, girls, this is so much more than just a list of names. We don't know a ton about these 12 guys, at least in this uh, thus far in the book of Mark. We know that Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen, that they made their living deep sea fishing down in Destin. Like we know that, that Matthew was probably the tax collector who cheated from them, who stole from them, that every day as they brought their fish in, that Matthew would lie and cheat and steal, that they probably knew each other really well. There was probably not a, a healthy relationship that existed there. We know that Simon the Zealot, a zealot was someone who was zealous for their country. He hated the Roman government who was oppressing them. And we know that Matthew worked for the Roman government. You can imagine that, how fun that was to be around them. James and John were the hot-tempered pair. And what I want us to see is that it wasn't their credentials that put them on the team of Jesus. It wasn't that they were the best theologians. It wasn't that they had this great chemistry together. It wasn't their giftings that Jesus needed on his team to accomplish what he wanted. I was reminded that it was grace that put every single one of these guys around the table. You know, I look at us around this room and unless we understand that that it's his grace that puts us around the table, We'll miss it. It's not that we're so necessary. It's not that we're so needed, so important to the kingdom of God. It's not that we're such great house church leaders and such great encouragers and such joyful prayers and encouragers and thinkers and evangelists. I love that it says that that Jesus wanted them. He did not need them. It's his grace that, that brings us to the table. It's his grace. It's his grace. And I love that he didn't just call Thaddeus and he didn't just call Matthew and he didn't just call Simon the Zealot. He called 12 different guys and they were all different. He called a community. And this is what's so powerful about Jesus is that he took a group of guys with all their diversity and he made a global impact through them and on them. You see, these guys, when they came into the presence of Jesus, they didn't have everything figured out. They didn't have their lives cleaned up. They came to Jesus, and He changed them. And He did something so significant, so special in their lives, that what united them, Jesus and His mission, was stronger than what divided them. The thing that they had in common was so much more powerful than their petty differences and their petty arguments and their petty hurts. In the book of Mark, up until this point, we've not been given a lot of names. We've been given a bunch of unidentified people. Man who was paralyzed, man who was cleansed of leprosy, people who were cleansed of of, of darkness, demons were driven out. And we get this one little glimpse of their life and what happened, what happened when Jesus showed up. But what I love about the 12 apostles is we get to see how their lives panned out. We get to see what happens to a community that really does exist around Jesus. You know, after Jesus died, after he was resurrected, after he ascended to heaven, these were the guys that spread the good news of Jesus. These were the ones who carried the message of the kingdom of God In this message that it's King Jesus was not dead and every believer that has ever stepped into life with God for the past 2,000 years, including us, has benefited because of what Jesus Christ did in this group of people. Jesus became central, Jesus became primary, not just to the individuals, but to the community. And they learned to set their differences and their hurts and their own desires aside because of how p- important they came to see Jesus and his mission to be. And they go, could you imagine what God is gonna do through us? <laughs> if 12 guys who didn't even like each other, didn't have cars, didn't have the internet, probably didn't even like each other. <laughs> if they could spread the message of Jesus in such a way that 2,000 years later, people would still be benefiting because of their labor. Can you imagine what God might do through us? And I've been asking myself this question. Like what is stopping us from sharing with the entire world about Jesus? What's stopping us from sharing with the entire world the message of Jesus? Only us. God has given us everything we need. He's with us. He's sent us. And he's given us authority. So what do we do with this? You know, I love verse 13. This is where we'll end this morning. I kept thinking about how funny it was that Jesus went up on the mountain to call them. Jesus goes up to the top of Percy Warner. Hey, Peter! Me? Why did Jesus go up on top of a mountain to call these guys? Maybe he liked the view that a mountain offered him. Maybe he just liked being outside, like the great outdoors. Maybe there's something deeper theologically going on. At the very least, what's going on is that by going up on the mountain, it required the men who were called to go to climb, to take a step. You see, Jesus and his grace is what called them, but they had decided to respond. And in order to get to Jesus, required a step. I, know, I love that we gather in this room and there are many of you who are not followers of Jesus, and I want you to know that this is the safest place in the world for you. We love you, we care nothing, uh, we care nothing more than about watching you come to know Jesus. And so you keep coming. You ask any question. You do whatever you want. Like we, we are here because we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know that he loves you, that he wants you. And I'll just share from my own experience that, that he's worth the climb. He's worth the step. He is worth everything no matter what it's going to cost you. Life with God is worth it. Being a follower with purpose and power and presence, oh man, that's where we're made to live. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, come to him. Before you were born, he knew you, he wants you. Here in just a minute, we're gonna stand and take communion and if you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you have questions, there'll be some men and women at the respond band and we'd love just to talk and pray and help. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, as we take communion this morning, I wanna invite you just to evaluate past month of your life, past year of your life. Where's he inviting you into deeper participation as a father of Jesus? I was thinking about how we rarely do all this well at once, being with him and telling others and caring for people and driving out darkness. Look at your life. Where's God made you strong? You have a really great connection with him, you're being with him very well, but maybe you're not sharing your faith. Maybe you're not caring about people. Maybe you're not driving back the, 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 the walls of darkness. How do we take communion? Evaluate your life. Ask God, God, help me to know where you're inviting me to step into deeper participation with you. I love you guys. Let's pray.